There was uh, a while ago, I was scheduled to preach at a church. And before I got up to preach, the preacher there pulled me to the side and said, Dexter, you don't have to go up there and be great, but just point to the one who is great. And so that is my aim is to make much of Christ this morning and to lift him high before you and so that you may see that he is enjoyable. It's a joy to be here again with you bringing God's word. I don't know what that is. Is that me? Okay. They're fixing it. I'm going to trust them. Uh, it is a joy to be here again with you bringing God's word. And it was a joy last week explaining God's work in salvation. And we ought to always be in awe of God's grace in our lives. Nevertheless, God is continually at work in our lives after salvation, changing us into his image. And this church is a glorious image, reflecting the beauty of Christ. And I want to share my heart with you this morning. There is so many things I want to happen today through the preaching of God's word. Number one, I hope that those of you in the room that have yet to put your faith in Christ as Lord and Savior would do so. And number two, my hope, Bethel Gary, is that we would treasure Christ together as a body that the glory of God will be treasured among us. And I pray that when people walk into 225 West 5th Avenue, they will know without a doubt God is important here. And number three, I want to help you this morning in understanding how God helps us to overcome sin in our lives. And I know many of you in the room have been battling things for years. And I only hope that God would use me as a vessel to speak a word of truth in your heart that may set you free from some of the things that you have been stumbling over for years. And so the title of my message is The Glory of God and the Soul of the Redeemed. I can just sit down right there. That title speaks for itself. The glory of God in the soul of the redeemed. Every person in the world loves the sight of beauty. We spend money to go see things that are beautiful. It is amazing how beauty draws us into a sort of ah moment. And when we see things that are beautiful, we want to be around that which is beautiful It might be a beautiful nightlit sky, a painting, fireworks, food, music, or a person, and we marvel at it. Church beauty does something to us from the inside out. We are often unable to explain this sort of delight in our souls when we see something that is beautiful. Our affections rise towards the object of beauty. We spend countless dollars on beauty. 
women spending countless dollars on hair extensions. I'm going to be careful. Spending countless dollars on sew-ins. Yaki, Remy, human hair. Y'all didn't know I knew all that, did you? Now, I remember one time walking into the beauty supply, I had $30, and I was going to surprise Paige. Little did I know that that human hair is pretty expensive. I had to turn right back out the store. <laughs> Spending countless money on nails and, and makeup and jewelry and clothes and shoes. Man spending money on clothes and cars and gym membership, all in the name of beauty. The reality is most of our toiling to look beautiful is to reflect something we are not. We all erect the idea, these ideas of beauty. We set our mind, our gaze, and ambition on that thing we have come to treasure as beautiful. Here are a couple of examples. Do you remember the one guy spending millions on trying to look like Justin Bieber? I'm like, do really be yourself. <laughs> what about people trying to look like Michael Jordan? They got the headband, the jersey, the shoes, everything but the game. <laughs> it's that one guy, he, he comes on the court all dressed up like Michael Jordan, and when he plays, you're like, why did I pick this guy up? <laughs> we try so hard to reflect that which we love. And we have all seen it or done it. We say things like, dude, think he's Jordan. Or she thinks she's Rihanna and she needs to stop it. <laughs> okay. No, that's not that. <laughs> or, y'all know I drink a lot of water. Dude, or dude trying to be gangster and we know he ain't about that life. Why do we desire to reflect these people? It is because we think that we will finally belong if we do. We think we will finally be happy. But in reality, they themselves are not happy. Throughout the decades, we've seen people, famous people, commit suicide and take depression medicine and so forth. They are not happy but said, lonely and lost apart from Christ like you and I. Amen. And a couple weeks ago, I was reading an article on the Gospel Coalition about Michael Jordan. And here's a window into the mind of Jordan who has revolutionized the game of basketball. He says, I will give up everything now to go back and play the game of basketball. The Hall of Famer confesses. When asked how he replaces it, Jordan simply states, you don't. You learn to live without it. You see, church, in all of his achievements, he has failed to find lasting joy. And he lives with a void that basketball cannot fill. The reality is, people will always reflect, imitate, mirror that which they value and behold in their hearts. 
And my heart and hope for you, Bethel Gary, is that you will value, treasure, esteem, and exalt Christ in your hearts. We want to see lives all throughout this building and surrounding neighborhoods reflecting Christ. And moreover, God wants to see people who reflect his son. God is the most beautiful being in the entire universe. His beauty will make Revlon and Mac go bankrupt. He is the most beautiful being in the universe. God is the one in whom we should set our gaze upon. Because the more we see him, the more we will reflect him and change into his image. And here is my objective today. To help you see how seeing and enjoying Christ sanctifies and transforms us into the image of Christ. And so here's our text. You want to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 18. And it reads, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So recap from last week, we learned about salvation and how God has moved in great grace. God had freely moved to set sinners free and gave us new life in Christ. And although we were dead, slaves, condemned, the Lord set us free. And this, friends, is salvation. God liberating us from sin, death, and wrath. And now we have eternal life through his son. Bethel Gary, we ought to give God praise in this place from our hearts that he turned a hopeless situation into great hope. By making us alive. However, there is greater news about this salvation. We often marvel at God's work to set us free. And indeed, we should. But I would submit to you, though, that God has also done above that. Not only has God set you free, but God has in your salvation unveiled the eyes of your heart to see his glory. And oh, how we love the glory of God and the majesty and the weight of his being. God is glorious. The best thing about your salvation is that you get to know God. Prior to salvation, you were cut off from the knowledge of God. But now God has restored you, removed the veil from the eyes of your heart so that you can now know him. And oh, how you ought to give him praise that you can know him. In other words, when God saved you, he allowed you access to the knowledge of him. Bethel Church, the best thing that salvation has to offer is we get to know God. And this is great news that we are no longer cut off from the knowledge of God. But God says to our hearts, come and know me. We're in the book of Corinthians and Paul hearts longs for this church to understand all 
that they have in Christ. Paul is rejoicing over the fact that God has made himself known to the body of believers. And so my first point is the unveiled face. Paul starts out saying we all. This means every person who has been saved by the grace of God. This means every person who has trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior. It doesn't matter your background, social status, or ethnicity. If you love Christ, this verse is written to you and all those who will believe. And he goes on in verse 18 to say, unveiled face. Now the word unveiled means not hidden by a veil or other coverings laid bare. So God has in salvation revealed himself to you. This is why we see here at the beginning of verse 18, and we all with unveiled face. Why does Paul use this terminology? Unveiled face. Now, when I seen unveiled face here, I thought it would be good for me to help you out here to understand why he is using this terminology. We don't use unveiled face in the 21st century. No one is walking around talking about unveiled face. But I'm pretty sure if we gave our young people enough time, they would put a spin on unveiled face. I, I have to tell all her business on Facebook, hashtag unveiled face, keeping it 100. That's what we do. We take words and we make them however we want to make them. But so let me help you understand what Paul means by unveiled face. Paul uses this terminology from the Old Testament, Exodus 34, 29 through 35. And I will read that text. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him and Moses talked with them. Afterwards, all the people of Israel came near and he commanded them. He commanded all that the Lord has spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, He put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Now, brothers and sisters, usually when we read the Bible, we read something like that and we keep going. But I just want to slow you down for a minute. How many people have you hung around for a couple days and your face came out shining? Now, I know many of you have been on first dates and your heart started racing and you thought you were in love and you started glowing. I'm not talking about that kind of shining. Moses is in the presence of the Lord and he comes down and his face is radiant. His face is shining. When we are in the presence of God, it something happens. We reflect his beauty. We reflect his majesty. Moses 
face was shining. Do not pass past that, but stand in awe that the God of the universe is glorious. He is majesty. He is beautiful. He is wonderful. Moses' face was shining. Do not pass past that. When you read the Bible, stop and meditate and say, oh, what a God that my face should shine in his presence. And so Moses' face is shining. There are two characters, a person in a group that I want to focus on in this story. Moses and the people of Israel. We see here that the people of Israel are just like us prior to salvation. Because of their heart and hearts, they didn't want to see Moses' face. They, that reflected the glory of the Lord. We were not receptive to the glory of the Lord either. It was hard for us to be around anything that reminded us of God. Do you remember, church, how unattractive Christ was to you? How everything in the world was like gold and Christ was like trash. Do you remember? Do you remember how you were completely content in life without God prior to salvation? We do not know how beautiful the Lord is. Don't sit here and act like you were always in love with the Lord. But prior to salvation, you didn't want anything to do with the Lord. Quite frankly, you were all right if you didn't know the Lord. You remember that one saved friend. I ain't talking about the stuck up saved friend. I'm talking about the real genuine saved friend. Every time he came around, you tried to duck and dodge because it brought conviction to your heart and you wanted to stay in your sin and your heart was veiled. You couldn't see the glory of the Lord. It was not beautiful to you. It was not attractive to you. You thought money was better than God. You thought cars were better than God. You thought fornication was better than God. You thought long walks on the beach was better than God. You thought reading was better than God. You thought clubbing was better than God. See, you guys thought to talk about all the sinful stuff, but reading when it is put before God is sin. Long walks on the beach before God is sin. It is not just the ill things that we think of that is sin. It is anything that is exalted above God that is sin. And we treasured and we value those things. But however, church, we are not like the Israelites, but more like Moses. In fact, better. We don't need to hide ourselves from the glory of God, but we are drawn to it. We have been redeemed, washed in the blood. Our stains have been removed through the death of Christ. And therefore, God can shine in us and through us. This is what it means to have unveiled face. God's glory is shining in your hearts, and we love it. The reflex of the human heart when seeing Christ is to embrace him. Do you remember, church, after God had unveiled your heart to his glory? How you wanted to tell everyone about what had happened. I call it the woman at the well moment. You especially wanted to tell your loved ones. You told them how beautiful and how awesome and how wise and how gracious Jesus was. And then you begin to explain. If he fixed my life, surely, surely he can fix, surely he can fix your life. Friends, as you begin to explain how this could how, how finding Christ or Christ finding you could bring rest. They didn't feel the same way about it. They didn't seem to treasure Jesus like you did. Why? 
My friends, it is because they are blind and the veil of the world is over their hearts. And oh, Bethel Gary, let us not puff ourselves up because we, we too were once like that. But our hearts should break for them. We should pray often for the lost that God would open their eyes because friends, it could be you apart from the grace of God. Oftentimes, church folks want to puff themselves up and to walk in their self-righteousness, but they do not understand salvation because when you understand that it was a gift and that God had pity on you and he moved on you and he came to you and he set you free through the power of his gospel, how can you not long to see others come and to enjoy and to be satisfied in this great God? As commentary writer Simon said, Simon said, but that's his name, Simon. (laughs) Moses was in God's presence for a limited time. But the Christian has the promise of the Lord that he is always with him. Matthew 28, 20. And so my next point is beholding his glory. Next, we need to understand that God has unveiled our hearts to reveal his glory to us. Paul says all of us with unveiled face are beholding the glory of the Lord. And I want us to focus on the word behold. This means to reflect. The the relationship between the sun and the moon may offer insight on this. The moon is not the light source. It does not make its own light. We can see the moon because the light from the sun bounces off of it and back to the earth. If the sun wasn't there, you wouldn't be able to see the moon. Church, Christ is the source of light. People see in you. You are not the light in your life. Christ is. We only reflect the light of Christ to the degree that we see him. Therefore, if you want to see more of Christ shining in your life, you must fight to see him more. Brothers and sisters, this is why we read our Bibles, go to church and pray so that we may grow in our knowledge of him and be changed. This is why we study. This is why we grow in the knowledge of the Lord, because the more we grow in his knowledge, the more we grow in understanding him to the degree that you know the Lord to that degree, you will reflect him. And I'm not talking about a head knowledge, but a knowledge that transfer to the heart. There's one thing in knowing about God. And there's another thing when you know God, this is something different. This is something amazing that God has done in the life of the believer. And God encourages us in his word to grow in knowledge. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 10, he says, So so as to walk in a matter worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2, he says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. If I had time, I will break that text down because what he's saying, and as you grow in the knowledge of the Lord, there then is your peace. Your peace is in knowing him. Your peace is in being sustained by him. Your peace is not in the world, but your peace is in the Lord. Friends, at the, 
Friends, as this knowledge grows in our hearts, our affections for God are all the more stronger. This is why it is so important that we have right doctrine, sit under good teaching, and ground yourself in truth. Do you want to see God? Do you want to behold him? Surround yourself around people who love truth. Join a church that loves truth. Man, you can clap. Give God some praise. Allows me to drink more water. Man, find man that love truth. Women, find women that love truth and learn from them. Bethel, Gary, may we grow in the knowledge of Christ. And when truth growth happens in Christ, it always results into a life that reflects his character. As we grow in the knowledge of Christ, we will begin to see that he is glorious. We will begin to see that he is all satisfying. We will begin to see why he is called God. We will begin to see why he is the creator of the world. We will begin to see why feeding 5,000 with a couple pieces of wonder bread is of nothing to him but easy. We will see why he can open the eyes of a blind man with mud. We will see why he can conquer demons and all of his enemies including death and Satan and come back three days later and say homie I'm back and I'm Lord and I'm King and I'm God of the universe you will see church as you grow in your knowledge of God you will see why he is God you will see why people lay down their lives to serve this God you will see why people leave houses in good paying jobs to serve this God Bethel Gary, he is God and there is none like him. Jesus Christ is glorious. Listen to the summary definition that I found on Theopeda about the attributes of God. He is eternal. God exists forever, meaning he has no beginning or end. He, he has always existed in the same way. Fully and completely as God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Who was and is to come. Revelation 4.8. Can I brag on him for a minute church? He is holy. To say that God is holy. Is to say that he is eternally separate. And distinct from all impurity. Can I brag on him for a minute church? He is all powerful. God has all power. He can exercise dominion over the entire universe, carry out the purpose of his wisdom, govern the heart of man, and even create things out of nothing. Can I brag on him for a minute, church? He is all-knowing. God knows all things. This includes the past, the present, the future. It includes actuality and contingencies. That is, he knows what will happen. He knows what could happen. There was never a time when God didn't know anything. The greatest and deepest and most fascinating thing that God knows is himself. For he is infinitely deep in character and substance and beauty and wisdom. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Romans eleven thirty four. 34. Can I brag on him for a minute, church? 
He is self-existent. God is self-existent, meaning that he does not need us or, or the rest of creation for anything. While everything other than God depends on God for everything. God depends on no one for existence. He is absolute re- reality with whom we must all reckon with. Cannot brag on him for a minute, church. I'm not quite done. God is self Sufficient. The scriptures allude to the fact that God does not need anything. He does not need humans to survive. He requires no water, no air, no food, no sleep or money. Counselors, supervisors and advisors of any kind are of no need to him. He is God. When I was... uh, When I was attending Moody, uh, one of the uh, studies that I enjoyed most was the attributes of God. Um, And it's a study of his essence and who he is. And it is amazing when you study the being of God and who he is. And I encourage you to give yourselves to studying the attributes of God because it will help you to sniff out bad theology. Because if theology is in contradiction to his character, it is likely wrong. And so I encourage you to learn the attributes of God and let it be a check and balance for you. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. It is this God that we behold, Yahweh, the God of the Bible. And get to know him, this mighty God. And so my next point is we are transformed. Paul reveals to us in this text that something happens when we behold the glory of the Lord. We are transformed, friends. The text reads, you are being transformed into the same, the same image from one degree of glory to another. The word transform here in the Greek sounds like metamorphosis. I think, I don't know, I, meaning transformed. I'm still working on English, so Greek is, I'm just just saying. Uh, This word occurs four times in the New Testament. It occurs in Matthew 17, 2, in Mark 9, 2, and it speaks of Christ's transfiguration, when we see a physical transformation of Christ. This word transformation also appears in Romans 12, 2, when we are instructed to be transformed in our thinking. And this word also appears in our current text, 2 Corinthians 3.18, and it is used as a descriptive statement to describe what is happening to the believer. The word transform in our current text seems to mean a transformation that happens within. Simon again says, transformation here describes an eternal change that one cannot readily observe. Yet the transformation changes the entire person, his heart, soul, and mind. And what can we deduce from this? Believers are changing from within. The more they see Christ, they are changing in their thinking, which means they do not reason the way that they used to. They do not think as the world does anymore. They are changing in their desires. We don't desire the same things we used to desire. Do you see what is happening to you, Christian? God is changing your very person. This is astonishing. 
Listen, church, becoming a Christian is not shifting the way you think to line up with facts. You can know all Christian doctrine and quote 50 million scriptures and go straight to hell. Listen, believers, the goal is not to get unbelievers to just agree with you, but to pray that that God might use you to help them see with their hearts. Something miraculous needs to happen to the human heart. Namely, the veil must be removed. You need to see God. You need to taste him with your soul so that you say he is good and more than enough. This is the glory of God in the soul of the redeemed. And I remember when I noticed the beginning transformation in my own life. God has saved this 18-year-old mess. Church, I was enjoying the world's goods. And I was having fun chasing the ladies and clubbing and making much of Dexter. At 16, I had already had my first child. And my life and the reality of it was trending in a bad way. And then the gospel came to me that God has sent his son into the world to die for sinners like me. And God opened the eyes of my heart by the power of his gospel. And Christ was beautiful. I remember in the middle of an ungodly relationship, God saved me. I started going to church. I woke up one day and said, I'm going to buy a Bible. I couldn't get enough of reading God's word and going to church. Something was happening to this 18-year-old young man. And I would submit to you today that God was shining his glory in my heart so that the world began to pale in comparison to Christ. Christ became better than clubbing. Christ became better than chasing women. Christ became better. He became better. He looked better to me. This is the life of God in the soul of the redeemed. When he reveals himself to a man, he begins to become transformed. Friends, when the glory of God gets into the soul of man, we will change. There is no such thing as you might change. You will change. And if you have not changed, it has not happened. Pull the pastor to the side or something, because if you're still the same old person you were 10 years ago, something didn't take. <laughs> God sanctifies us by showing us more of Christ, and he delights to do it. Here are practical ways we see God's glory in the life of the redeemed. When that father calls his child, whom he has abandoned for years. And he calls him on the phone and says, son, I have not been there and I have neglected you. I have neglected to be a leader, but I want you to know something happened to daddy. Daddy came into an encounter with Christ. And now I want to do the right thing. Daddy wants to be at the next baseball game. Daddy wants to be there when you need help with a test. My friends, this is the life of God and the soul of the redeemed. When a young lady calls up that boyfriend and says that this relationship cannot exist anymore. And he asks his why. And she says that I came into an encounter with Christ. And I realized that I've been selling myself too cheap. I've been giving myself to you. But God would not have this for me. This kind of repentance and turning is the life of God in the soul of man. And when that husband who thought it was good to walk out on his wife 
calls her on the phone and say, wife, I've been treating you wrong. I have been giving you the attention that you deserve. I have not been loving you the way that I should, but something has happened. I received the gospel of Jesus Christ and it has changed me. And I want to come home and try to love you like Christ loved the church. This is the glory of God in the soul of the redeemed. It changes us. It transforms us. When the selfish businessman who has made multi-million dollar business has been all but selfish ambition and self-centered, finally says, I'm going to use my resources in my life to give glory to God. This is the life of God in the soul of the redeemed. This is what happens when God gets into the heart of man. He changes them. They are continually turning from their sin. As they see Christ, they embrace him and they reject that which does not look like Christ. When people give up all that they have for Jesus, that is the glory of God and the soul of men. Christians have been eaten by lions and burned alive, ridiculed and scoffed for the sake of Christ. Why? They are beholding the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And this is why Paul could say, but whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. When the glory of God lands in the soul of men, he becomes his ultimate treasure. And that thing that he thought He could never overcome God in great power and grace in his soul kills it dead. This is the power of God. Sin will not have mastery over you, Christian. Christ has freed you. Christ has set you free. And he has opened your eyes to the knowledge of who he is. And I will submit to you again this morning that there is no greater person to know than the Lord of the universe. And as you know him, expect him to change you into his image. Choir is coming back at this time. Finally, church. Paul ends with saying. For this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Therefore, Bethel Gary, know that your ability to grow and change is a work of the spirit. God has graciously given us his spirit to empower change in our lives. God has begun this good work of salvation in your life and he will finish it. Don't worry. I encourage you, friends, to pursue Christ and fix your gaze on him. It is in seeing Christ that sin loses its power. 
because Christ is better than sin. We want to come alongside you as a church and help you to fight to see Christ. And church, may you treasure him. And as you do, may you continually be transformed into his image. We're going to worship this great God here in a second. And we're going to celebrate what it is to love Christ, what it is to love Jesus. And if you're sitting there and you're saying, I really want God to do a work in my life. I really want God to transform me more. Well, friends, first it begins with trusting in Christ, placing your faith embracing him as beautiful, embracing him as king, embracing him as Lord. And as Christ dwells in your soul, this is how God begins to change us. And many of you in the room may say, I've accepted Christ. I embrace Christ and I'm just struggling with some things in my life. I want you to know that God does not save you and say, good luck. No, God saves you and he walks with you through every trial, through every storm, and through every sin. This is the love of God. He will never leave us, nor will he forsake us because his love is not contingent on us. It does not shift and change on us, but his love is stable because you are in Christ. And God infinitely loves his son. And all those who are in him are infinitely loved by God. And so if you are in Christ, God will not leave you, but he will help you. 